0: And Michael Morgan, and she is Chantelle Lunt, and you're listening to "Why I'm No Longer Talking to Institutionally Racist Police." How you been, Chantelle?
1: i busy. Uh, there's been a lot going on in Merseyside, but I'm good. How are you, Michael?
0: I'm not as busy as you. And thank you. You know, from the from the get go, you do need your flowers for basically every single time there is an issue you are at the forefront either commentating either galvanizing troops either organizing marches basically you are our emergency response the black community owes you seriously flowers so you're getting them from me straight off, from the off because obviously what's been going on in merseyside you've been at the forefront of that in nosley you've been actually banging the drum and saying hey that isn't going to run here so thank you for that
1: Oh, thanks, Michael. And I didn't actually get any Valentine's Day flowers yesterday, so I will take those. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well,
0: neither did I. So that makes two of us. But you know, we do have quite a lot to get through on this episode. It, it's a special episode, I, I suppose. Um, I'd like to welcome our guests this evening. Um Siander and Gaza. And alongside your mum, um, Camilla, welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you for inviting us, sir. We really appreciate it. Good to be here.
0: Now, you know, it'll be brilliant if we weren't here under the circumstances which we're going to unpack, we're going to unpick over the course of probably around 45 minutes to an hour. But just by way of background, and, you know, we are going to touch on some quite harrowing issues, some quite harrowing issues I suppose, for the uninitiated um, news. Now, for me, I came across this story, um, it must have been the latter part of last year. And Sianda Ngarza's name was ringing bells because yet again, we were looking at an incident in Wales. Yet again, we were looking at a miscarriage of justice. But yet again, a Black woman, a Black person was... I suppose it's part and parcel of our journey and part of a miscarriage of justice at the hands of the police. Now, again, just by way of background, so that, you know, for the uninitiated, we can actually, you know, I suppose, paint the picture into kind of like tell the story and in its fullness, we are, you know, this this is a trigger warning. We are going to be touching on some pretty harrowing incidences. And uh, we're going to try and deal with it as sensitively as we can. Now, Seander, you're a black woman um, from South Wales, and you were, from what I've read, formerly an HR officer. And age 20, you found yourself the victim of a a vicious, a a very almost calculated uh, racist attack that took place on the 25th of May 2019 at a camping site in Wales. Now, I'm going to hand the story over to you to kind of set the scene. Why were you at the camping site? What brought you there? It's, um, I suppose, the starting point for this story.
3: What brought me to the campsite? I was invited. I was asked to go to the campsite um, by my boyfriend's family. Camping is not really something that, I do or like to do um but essentially because there were bridges that needed to be built between me and my boyfriend's family um I I I said yeah that I would go basically um so when I was invited I had had reconstructive surgery on my leg um So sort of one of the conditions of me going was that, you know, I needed to make sure that I was going to be sitting down for most of the time, needed to make sure that I was going to have like a camping bed um, as opposed to sleeping on the ground um, and stuff like that. And I was told that, yeah, we've we've got all of that and we'll bring it for you. Um, And actually when I got there, um, I think everyone had been there from, from like early afternoon when I got there at about five. With my boyfriend, actually, one of the first things I was made to know was that actually there was no camping bed um, and there was just like a chair. And really, I should have known from then that it was a bit iffy. But me being me, I was just like, okay, well, I've driven an hour here now. Or, you know, my boyfriend's driven an hour here now. We'll just stay, sort of thing. But hindsight's a beautiful thing.
0: Indeed. So you get to the camp, everything I take it is rosy and, you know, you're trying to settle in. And then what happens that it's escalated to a point where you are literally having to defend yourself, almost fighting for your life?
3: Yeah, so like like you said, it all started out quite rosy, quite nice. There were quite a few... Um, telltale signs I guess in hindsight that I can see Um, you know there were certain members of the group that sort of just didn't talk to me and when I would catch their eye they would sort of glare at me but being someone who from the age of eight has grown up in Wales which is a predominantly white area I've dealt with a lot of microaggressions and like underhanded racism and at that point in my life I'd actually convinced myself that it wasn't them it was me and that I had anxiety and I was actually being paranoid so I just overlooked that um you know so yeah there there was telltale signs but I overlooked it so as far as I was aware everything was rosy everything was fine um later on into the evening there was like an argument um between I th- between Mark, so I don't know, it was just sort of a disagreement really between my partner and his dad. Um, not something that I even really know what happened um, because I'm not going to get involved between a parent and son arguing, I'm not that stupid. So um, there was that disagreement. Um, my partner went to go to bed. I walked with him to the tent that we were going to be staying in. and once he sort of sorted himself out, I went back to the group to say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go. It's been nice seeing you all tonight. And they actually asked me to stay. So again, being a 20 year old who, you know, think is anxious and, you know, trying to seek the approval of these people. I was like, yeah, no, that's great. I'll stay. Um, I'll stay for a bit and then I'll go so that's what happened um there's quite a few different little bits th- different little conversations that occurred which sort of amounted to this this attack um all very trivial just but... to get
0: there i just want to pause just for just slightly just so that i can build a complete picture in my mind now i paused when i said at the top of our conversation about camping because I don't want to do the whole stereotypical thing, but we as Black people, we don't go camping. This isn't our thing. This isn't our go-to. For my holiday, I'm going to go camping doesn't form part of my vernacular or conversation. Set the scene for me. In terms of the people there, were you the only Black person there or were there allies that you could kind of like look to? No, so I was
3: the only Black person there. Right. It turned out that a few... What are they called? Pictures? They're called pictures. I don't know. Pitches. A few pictures away. Um, there was um there was someone um there who maybe was of colour, um, but I, not but basically I was the only person there.
0: Okay, so fast forward now to the altercation that you said that was happening between your boyfriend and his dad is that the spark that kind of was that the touch paper that everything then went pear-shaped and escalated or was there a further incident
3: um no I wouldn't say that it was the sort of the spark that set off the incident um like I said I don't even know really what it was about um it was really just a relevant thing I guess just parents and kids arguing I don't know but um, there were there was one particular person, um, a conversation I had with one particular person, um, and that is really what started it off. Um, but the conversation wasn't even about me, it was about something about them and their personal life. And essentially, a couple of hours later, I was speaking to their partner and they thought, I I assume that they thought that I was telling their partner what they had said. Um, And then they just started, yeah, just started a massive scene, really, saying, just started calling me a liar, shouting, saying, you're a liar, you're a liar. I was like, I I don't know what you're talking about because, yeah, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And then that girl's...
2: Aunt who's the complainant. Yeah,
3: so that girl's aunt who is the complainant, she then hears this girl shouting, You're a liar, you're a liar. And then suddenly comes over, Oh, you know, what's going on? You know, that sort of um, vibe. And then I was basically just trying to say, I I don't even know what's going on. Sorry, like, I, I don't understand. And then that's when she got in my face. Um, I was sat down, and she just sort of stood towering over me. So at this point, I stood up because I think the natural reaction if someone stands towering over you, shouting at you, then you you just stand up. Um, so I stood up, and I was just like, "Look, I I have no idea what's going on. Like this is crazy. I'm I'm leaving." So I've gone to leave, and essentially, as I've gone to leave she's pushed me and of course if you just get pushed normally then yeah it's fine it's not really going to affect you that much but remember I just had well eight eight to nine weeks prior just had my leg reconstructed so that tumble that that really took me like stepping 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 back um and to be to be quite honest I don't know how I managed to sort of catch my fall but the next thing I know is like I look up and she's like in my face again. And I was just like, oh, like, I, I was just like, I'm not doing this. Because obviously I know, I I, I don't have the strength to <laughs> even defend myself right now. Like, I, I can't do this. So I was just backing away. And I was like, look, I, like, I just don't know what's going on. Like, just, I just don't want any part in it. Let's just drop it. And then her boyfriend or husband or whoever he was, then um I don't I don't know what words I'm allowed to say. Like it
2: they basically cursed her out. Um, you know, I'm happy to use that language because obviously I think it needs to be, you need to kind of understand what you know, the the degree of um seriousness she was under after then that racial verbal abuse happened. So, you know, if you're fine with us kind of giving you an idea what that language which was absolutely
0: as i say i want us to be full and frank in what we're discussing here i think we need the full picture so take it away i really do need the full and frank version
3: so after after um after after i'd been pushed um essentially
2: the sorry can you say this because i can't okay Right, so after that initial altercation with this woman and um, she was pushed, Sianda said, Look, don't push me. Don't you ever friggin' touch me? Yeah. And that's when the man come in and turned around and said, You fucking black jungle cunt. What? Don't you ever speak? To my missus like that. And then the other adult male that was there turned around and said, fuck off, you fucking black bitch. Now, the jungle cunt, I've never heard that racial slur before. That is new. That was new to us at that time. So it's not something that you can make up, which is what further down the line was suggested. Which Right. or we'll come to that. Um, and it was there when Siander tried to, you know, explain, look, I don't want, you know, I don't want to be dealing with this. I don't want you to touch me. I want you to leave me alone. Yeah. Siander was backing off or walking backwards as these, this abuse was taking place because it was recurrent. So they were repeating that. And then Sianda turned around and says, look, if you attack me, because that's obviously even before then. But when then that, that that verbal altercation happened, she knew she was in danger, serious danger. Sorry, Sianda. Yeah,
3: sorry. So when they were calling me all those racial slurs, um, they were also saying, you know, we're going to fucking kill you. We will fucking kill you, you black Bitch, we will fucking kill you, and that's literally all I could hear. Oh my god! So yeah. So as my mum said, I was like, "Look, if you if you come near me, if you touch me, then like it's it's gonna go off, basically." And because mm-hmm. obviously the first thing you think is you're like, "If you touch me, like it's this, we're we're, it's, we're going in arms." Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That like, is just what came out of my mouth, and then basically. The woman said to me, it was something along the lines of, Oh, what, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You're gonna fucking hit me, you're gonna fucking glass me or something. And I was like, What are you talking about? And then and the next thing I knew, I could see them like running, they were literally running at me. So I'd made quite a bit of space, like between us. Um, and they were like literally running at me, and I looked down at my hand. And there was like there I was I, I was drinking out of like one of those cocktail jars. Yeah. Um and I just remember thinking, oh my God, like like I just don't even know what to do. And then it's all it's it's all quite a bit of a blur, really. You know, all I know is I literally just felt the force of a fist in the left side of my face. Mm. And glasses smashed you know I'm being punched by like it felt it felt like literally like 10 different hands are punching me mm. I'm trying to protect my face I'm trying to cover my head because I've had brain surgery pre- so I've got like, like um a reservoir in my like a re- it's a tube basically in my brain so I'm like trying to hold that trying to protect my face I'm trying to stop whoever's in front of me from like clawing at me and then I literally like Fall to the ground from like another blow, and then I can just feel like feet just kicking my head like just boom 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 boom, and I'm holding on to something, and then I'm like like what is going on? And then they're like just shouting all this. We're gonna fucking kill you. You're fucking dead. You fucking dirty nigger. You fucking black bitch. We're gonna fuck you up. All of this, and I'm just like like because I can't even explain. Like you can't actually. I can't even explain, like, how many million things actually went, like, across my mind in that in those moments. But all I realised then, I was, they were like, fucking let go, fucking let go. And I'm thinking, what do you mean, let go? Like, and then I realised that the, what I'm holding on to is actually the, who turned out to be the complainant's Hair, but, like, she's between my legs. So I, like, think, oh, OK, let me just let go. So I let go, and then literally I just felt I I had my hair up in a bun like this and I just felt a hand grab me by the bun literally one of them pulled me up into the air like yanked me by my head and pulled me off the ground by my hair so my feet were still touching the floor but my top half was like in the air and the other one literally just was just punching me, like just punching me, punching me in the chest, punching me in the side of the head, in the face, and then the person who was grabbing my burn was just shaking my head, shaking my head, shaking my head, and then I just sort of dropped to the ground, and then I could just feel other blows, and then like nothing. Like I remember just looking, opening my eyes and looking at the the, the stars in the sky. It was so obviously dark. It was pitch black, but all I could see were these stars. And I remember literally just thinking like I'm I'm about to die, and, and like the warmth that came from like the bottom sorry from like the bottom of my feet all the way up my body I, I can't even describe it honestly. And I just thought I am literally about to die. And then nothing.
0: So you blacked out.
3: Yeah. And then the next thing I know, I open my eyes and I can't really hear. And I'm like, just like, what's going on? Like, what's going on? And then I get up, I sort of sit up, and then I see that the two men are, like, punching my boyfriend, dragging him, like, across the floor. He's fighting back. Like, they're on top of him. He's trying to get up. And then I managed to stand up, and by me standing up, it must have caught their eye. Literally, they just both of them just turned to me and I literally just thought oh my god like I'm like I'm I'm fucked like excuse my language but like I'm actually fucked Mm. so I've just turned around gone to walk away because like I'm literally going like this because I'm so tense because I'm just preparing for the impact of someone just hitting me or something so I'm walking like this and I just keep walking keep walking keep walking and before I know it, I've walked to like a car and nothing's happened. So I was like, what? So I've I've gone around the car, looked through the window, and I can literally see like, like my boyfriend like grabbing them, like grabbing them from the floor, grabbing like legs, everything. There's like tussles, And I think, oh my God, he's 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 managed to stop them from getting to me. So I'm like, right, I need to get away. Like I, I don't even know what to do. So I've just kept walking right to the edge of the field and i basically spent what i thought was 10 15 minutes i basically spent an hour and a half an hour and 40 minutes stumbling through the hedges of the perimeter of the campsite waking up on the floor thinking what what is going on then being like i need to i need to get to the pub because there was a pub at the end right at the bottom of the campsite i think i need to get to get to the pub and I basically just stumbled through these hedges for like an hour and forty minutes, and the next thing I know, I've seen a I've seen a police car walk towards it, thinking, "Oh my god, thank you so much." And sorry, if I just backtrack slightly, whilst I was stumbling through the hedge trying to get to this pub, I've also come across like about two tents. So i, I stood at the tent and just said, "Like, excuse me, like." Can you help me? I've just been attacked. Like, I really need your help. Can you help me? And both of them, they were like, no, sorry. Don't want to get involved. Don't want to get involved. Wow. Well, no, yeah. go away. Don't want to get involved. So I was just like, oh, okay. But yeah, eventually I've, I've seen the police car. I thought, oh, they've come for me. Like one of the people in the tent has, you know, rang them or something. Yeah. I'm gone to them, literally fallen in this guy's arms back in handcuffs and I'm like what's going on and yeah they just shoved me in the back of the police car shoved me in the back of the police car shut the doors and walked off so I was just screaming because I'm like what is going on and then literally I just see like these two men come to the to the it would be the driver's side so I'm in the back the side of the police car and they're like shouting in the police car, like "You're gonna to go to fucking hell. You're fucked. Fuck you. Fucking black bitch. You are fucked." In front and the of, thing-
0: of the police officers, they are giving these racial slurs.
2: Volume. No, no, no that's not. We'll come to that. They weren't. They left her.
1: They yep. left
2: her with ah. a strain. That's a police strategy. So
1: if there's just to interject there, if there's a fight, they will get someone and put them somewhere where they know they can't move. And then, so if it's one officer who's attended, they will get the first person, put them in the car with handcuffs and then go to the next person and respond to that. So that, so it's like, like no, you're they, saying, a police officer wouldn't have been there. No, because
2: there was one, there was a first responder, the first police officer when he handcuffed Sianda, right. he in the Right. He got a stranger to watch Sianda. So we actually asked a member of the public. Yes, a member of the public got into the car as the car as the car arrived to the call. Said he knew what this girl looked like. Yeah, obviously because she's the only black person there. Pointed her out, and that's where Sianda would have met the police officer, handcuffed, and that police officer asked that same stranger to watch Sianda while he went to see how the complainant was. Now that stranger could have been a friend of those racists, anyone, and she was verbally attacked in the car as the policeman turned his back. Not to mention the vulnerability of being
1: handcuffed. And he had to push back. Mm. Yeah.
3: So yeah, I just remember like two men coming to the car at first and then suddenly there's all these people around the car. I can feel it like, you know, when people are pushing it like this. yeah. And I can feel they're banging on the windows, banging on the windows. And I, I and to be honest, I was, I, I was quite, I think I was delirious at this point because all I know is the, the passenger side door opened and I thought a police officer was coming and trying to grab me. So I was just screaming. I was like, "Please help! Like, please stop! Like, don't!" And the next minute, I looked, and it was just some random person. And I'm like, "Oh my!" Like, literally, I just. Sorry, I don't mean to be like quite animated. It's just I. I like, need never to ever-
1: apologize. Like, I'm like you. Do not need to apologize. Like, definitely not
3: yeah, it's just, and then, and then the next thing I know, the back door opens, and, like, a police officer, like, grabs me, and then he's, like, it's okay, it's fine, you're all right, like, they're going, they're gone, I I heard everything that they said to you, and obviously, I was just sobbing, and sobbing, and sobbing, and screaming, and, yeah, and he was, like, don't worry, don't worry, and then that's when, I mean, I can't say how long at the time was, because I've realised that, I have no like I had no concept of time in that moment like in that night but um basically that's when he sort of calmed me down and asked me to tell him everything that had happened and the first thing I said to him was I need to I was like I need to tell you about my brain my my brain and he was like what and I was like is your body cam on and he said yeah it is on So, and I remember looking at his chest and there was like a light. So I literally just looked at his chest and just reeled off as much as I could about the condition I've got with my brain. Cause I said to him, I feel like I'm dying. Like I feel like I'm actually about to die. Like I am going to die. So I reeled off all the information that I could at the time And he was like, okay, that's fine then. He was like, right, you need to calm down. I was trying to just tell him everything that happened. Like I was just trying to tell him, tell him, tell him. And he was like, look, there's no point in you going over this right now, because unless you're under arrest, none of this matters. Like what you're saying, none of it matters. And I was like, well arrest me then. Like, I was like, if if that's the only way that you're gonna actually listen to me and listen to what's happened to me, like do it then. And he was just like, so then he did the court, like read, read me the caution. Is that what it's called? Read me my rights. And then I just launched into just just saying everything that had happened. And then, yeah.
0: So from there, okay, this is what I've got in my mind. You're in the back of the car. You're, you're relaying all of this to him. How does this not actually unfold into hold on a minute i was attacked why isn't the other um or why isn't the assailant being given the same treatment as i am and that is being detained being handcuffed being spoken to how is it that you suddenly found yourself fast forwarded to you're sitting in the dock in front of a judge how does that happen just talk me through like you know i know there's probably quite a lot to get through but just give me the elevator pitch, how you found yourself from the back of the car, explaining that you were fighting for your life, that you felt as though you were about to lose your life. You were racially abused. And then the next thing in this chapter seems to be you're in front of a judge.
2: I think I need to take over here. Okay. This section, um, because after what happened to Sianda, she was in no fit state to deal with the police. She wasn't. She was recovering, you know, in you know, her bruises, her injuries, everything. So I was communicating with the police. So when I collected Siander from the police station, she spent 20 hours there. Well, a lot had happened before then, how but um the police officer said, so there was no the the first police officer that came, he came at about 10 to midnight. The second police officer arrived at around 10 past midnight. The first police officer did not turn on his body cam footage. The second police officer did not turn on his body cam footage until 17 minutes after he arrived. So whatever Siander told him, he did not record it. He did not record it. So that's one thing I needed to mention when we spoke to the investigating police officer, his first words were, the issue we have is, is that we have five people saying that Siander just smashed the glass in the face of a woman and we have no other person coming forward. So what we need to do is, not the police, us, me and Siander is, is give them proof that Siander was indeed attacked what Siander has told me in the interview room it was very shocking to hear. However, we have five witnesses, And I says, well, three of them, Siander's saying, attacked her, the other two, they they're relatives, the son of the one man that punched her in the face and the girl is the niece of the complainant. So, you know, and I says, okay, look, I'll take pictures of the injuries. I need to take her to the hospital because I realized that obviously she did tell them about her injuries because they took her to a medical center, but not a medical center that had consultants and doctors, just one with nursing. So I needed to make sure that she was properly looked over, that her reconstructive leg surgery wasn't damaged because she's got metal plates in her leg, that her head was okay because she was repeatedly kicked. So I said, you know, I've got to do that. Investigating police officer says, Okay, well, you once you've done that, send me the details of who Siander saw at the hospital so I can obtain those notes as proof. And I says, Look, I will take pictures of her injuries because we could see it, they were starting to emerge. And over the, you know, next couple of days they did. Um, so when I got back, I called the police officer, said, Look, you know, I've noticed a footprint on her face because I noticed it when I took her back from the hospital. So I says, I'm going to take pictures and I need to send this to you first, and then I'll send you the details of the consultant, whatever I sent that. Yeah. Um, and then I sent photographs for, you know, um, for being that for the photographs. But, see, Ander was afforded a victim support officer. That didn't come till two weeks after. She didn't contact him two weeks after the incident realised that a day after she got home that nothing was happening with the people, the perpetrators. So I picked up the phone, as a mother or parent does, you know, father does, what's going on? Why aren't these people being arrested? You know, Mm. and the police, investigating officer said that she wouldn't interviewed as a victim, because the interview that took place, she was interviewed as the perpetrator, not a victim. That didn't happen. Where's these police that you're saying that are coming to the door to interview Sianda? so it, it quickly went downhill from there because he got offended by what me calling out is incompetence. So I says, this is a race hate crime. This is a racist incident. And you're not equipped to deal with this because you're in white country. You've not dealt with this before, I said. And I says, i need someone and I need an expert to deal with this now because you're letting all this evidence go away. Someone grabs the by the hair. If you had the sense to arrest him and swab his hands, you would see that she'd have, it would have, oil that we use on her hair so you know that he's actually put his hands on her because all these witnesses, the perpetrator says no one touched Sianda. you see that's what uh. they said, no one touched her, Siander just did this and used, and used the reason of her partner arguing with his father as the reason as to why Siander started their, ver- that's their version started this that's, That's
1: it. their version. I do have That's to say yeah. that you can Google um, Freesyanda and see injuries, like the injuries are online aren't they? The pictures are there, so how yes. on earth would the police yes. say and that nothing happened? Yes.
2: Yes.
0: But not only that, just, just from a logical point of view you as an individual by yourself aren't going to initiate conflict with people who are clearly bigger than you, with a leg which is injured and you are outnumbered. It just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense, just logically. From a self-preservation point of view, no one would do that.
2: David Paris police are not interested in things like that. They wanted the easy ticket. They wanted a conviction and it was easier to pursue Siander because of these five non-independent witnesses. They were happy with that, you see. And that is why when you're dealing with police officers that don't like to be told how to do their job and yeah. use their power to cut you off, because that's what happened. That is why Siander ended up in trial, because the police stopped working with us, the police stopped communicating with us and right. told us to complain. And that's what we did, not realising this wasn't the route to go down. They did it to cut us off. They cut us off. They didn't contact us until three months later. They didn't contact the until three months later to then charge her. It
1: Can I ask a quick as
2: question?
0: Though... Oh, go on. No, no go on, I, I've, I've been talking the longest while, go on.
1: I'm just wondering what happened to your partner? So um,
3: on the night, obviously I got arrested, Um, I remember Miles being like at the window, he was like, what is going on? Um, But whatever happened at that campsite, after I left it, I have no idea. But what I do know is that very early in the morning, Miles left the campsite. Obviously he'd been drinking, so he couldn't drive, but he left the campsite um, and went to the police station. Or did he come home first? He went home first. So he came back to my mum's first. And then he drove an hour back to the police station and he bought my medication Um, because I didn't have any of my medication. He brought my medication to the police station. He asked them if he could make a statement. They said, no, you can't make a statement. We don't need anything from you. He was like, but I know what happened. I, you know, I saved her like I was there sort of thing. They beat me up too.
2: No, a statement.
3: yeah, they said, no, you don't, don't need anything from you. You can't make a statement. Um, he waited outside the police station, and then you took over then, didn't you? And then he um, went home and just sorted out, you know, a bath and, you know, pyjamas and stuff so that I'd be slightly more comfortable when I got home. So that's what happened, like,
2: immediately afterwards. Um, yeah. Yeah. They did take a statement, yeah. eventually. But it was, again, two weeks later.
0: Mm. later. The more... The more I hear about this, the more you speak, it sounds as though you'd rub the police up the wrong way by telling them the job that they should be doing, which they weren't. And it sounds as though the easy route for them is to withdraw and just let this play out naturally. And that is, they can then move in an arrest because the embarrassment, it sounds like you were putting them through by asking legitimate questions, didn't sound like it landed very well. No, it didn't land very well. You right. know, they
2: tried to say, "Oh well, we've we've given you a you know a victim um, support officer. and We've registered this as a hate crime." I says, "But the victim support officer, who's from the Gwent Police, is telling us she can't communicate with you because you're from a different police constabulary. So what the hell is what's what's the point in this victim support officer officer then? There's no support. There's no support. All you've given us is a leaflet." To ring victim support, victim support don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to deal with race hate crime and 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 black victims of of racial assault. What's that doing? You need to be arresting these people because Cianda alleges this has happened. You should be acting upon that. they not know they didn't like it. He well, this particular investigating officer who I was correct is inexperienced because he said in the dock that he's not experiencing dealing right. with violent attacks. So I was right. You see. And that's what they did. They cut us off, sent us a leaflet to Sianda's email address to how to complain. And we ended up going down the complaints route thinking that we could get them to get the invest- investigating officer to look into Sianda's allegation, only to be told they can't do anything while there's a live investigation going pla- in place. But there wasn't one on Sianda's be- behalf. So we were stuck. We couldn't complain, and I couldn't revisit that complaint until Sianda was sent to prison. <sighs> it's
1: just maddening, isn't it? Absolutely maddening. So they basically opened and closed the hate
2: crime case just immediately. They opened and closed the complaint that Sianda yeah. raised because she was attacked on the 25th of May. The complaint was submitted on the 1st of June. That's how quick the t- the, t- the, the the events played out, you see. Um, and they didn't even investigate points because they disapplied points, but they then put it on hold pending the live investigation, which didn't take place. There was no investigation. But the actual crime, like, the,
3: they said they registered it as a hate crime. As far as I know, that crime reference
2: number is just, just floating neither. They're just registering it as, as stats because that's what they do. They just yeah. register it stats yeah. as I've come to learn and come to understand you know just because they register the stats it doesn't mean they investigate a damn thing
1: yeah for me that bit that you said Siander of he put you in the back of the car and said the only way that I can respond to what you're saying as if you're under caution. For me shows that from the get-go, he viewed you as the suspect and not a victim because you can take a victim statement of someone who's not under caution. So like
2: that just spoke to the mentality of it. Mm. Mm. And they denied the same that as well, which was part of the reason why I had to deal with that, that investigating officer the way I did Mm. because we realized they declined it all. They declined that that they said that.
0: Kind of conscious that we're seemingly running out of time, but I just want to quickly fast forward then to, you are now um, facing a prison term. You rock up at, well, after you've been sentenced. What happened then? I mean, I take it there's a short drive to prison. How, how How does things unfold from the time where you've been told, okay, you've got a custodial sentence?
3: So, what actually happened was I had the trial for a week and I had the verdict, which was guilty. And I'm not sure how much you both know, but the crime that I was convicted of was uh, grievous bodily harm with intent, so, it was section 18. And like Chantal probably well knows, if you're convicted of that offence, that is because you are such a violent person. As the conviction says, and you normally get remanded straight away. But they let me out for three weeks. They were like, Oh, you don't have to go to prison straight away. Uh, I'm going to, the judge said, I'm going to let you out on bail for three weeks because you've got, you've got things to get in order. Because actually, when the foreman of the jury said guilty, the judge's mouth was on the floor because no one thought it was going to be a guilty. I didn't even consider packing a bag because the whole trial was so farcical, even the CPS barrister was shocked. So he, I don't know, took pity on me or whatever and gave me three weeks. Um, so then three weeks later, I returned and then um, was basically told by the judge in his in his statement that, you know, I, I had to do like a pre-sentencing report with probation. And the judge basically said, well, from the pre-sentencing report with probation, I can see that you've been through a lot. You've been through a lot of racism. You've been through a lot of bullying in school because of your race. And you, you've been through a lot. So actually, I've got no doubt in my mind that you will get through this. Is four and a half years.
1: Oh, <laughs> my God. What the hell? Strong Jesus. black woman trope used to give you a hot... I'm so angry.
3: Yeah. And, you know, like, even up to just, just after I left prison, in my head I still thought, you know i think that judge like he he was sort of like on my side because he gave me 3 weeks on bail and he you know he he understood that i've been through a lot and like just because that is it's it's so so difficult sometimes to 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 remove yourself from that brainwashing of oh my god someone's doing me a favor this white person's doing me a favor yeah it's literally taken me up until probably july to be like Sandra, what, the, what are you even talking about no one's done you a favor no one did you a favor you know so they said you're going four and a half years okay fine walk down the stairs sit on a plank of wood for about four hours and yeah get driven to prison in this tiny disgusting box um that just is just vile and disgusting.
0: So inside and, that disgusting box, is it just you or there are other prisoners? How, how does the transport work?
3: So it's like a big, like, lorry type thing. And it's just you? you. go in and it's sectioned off. So there can, there's normally about six separate ah. little boxes. But I don't know if you've ever seen the the lorries and the black window. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but in there, there's about six, sometimes eight little boxes. Oh. And you sit in there and like the doors closed, and there's like no seat belt. The seat is like just a piece of plastic. You have to put your feet up on the wall opposite you just to not fall everywhere in the box. Um, and yeah, then I went to prison and I, I genuinely just never thought that I'd make it because,
0: yeah. So, so what- just, just that, the prison gates and when you actually get... Processed, I think they call it. What what happens there? I mean, you you rock up at the prison gates and then what?
3: Go in. They give you a cup of tea. Um, Some of the prisoners will talk to you, tell you about the regime and how it all works. Um, The shepherd web come in your face and take a picture. And then you're given your... This is your prison number. This is your card. This is you now, basically. Then you're taken to a um a, a wing, which is like the induction wing. Um, you walk into the room, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit nicer than what you originally thought your cell was gonna look like. And do you share one? No, not at first. Um when you first go in, everyone's in single cells. But then after the your induction week, you move on to the actual wings, and then you're in a tiny box sharing with someone else.
0: And the person that you shared, I, I guess, you know, they, they were easy to get on with or were they uh, the bullying type? Just talk me through your, your your cellmate.
3: Yeah, I mean, so the first person I shared with, we got on really well. I actually started sharing with someone on the induction wing for like two nights. Um, we got on really well. They, I ended up then being moved to the main wing. And that person got left in the induction wing. And that was because they, yeah, racism overcrowded that situation. But I moved over to the other way, to the main wing. The person I shared with, they were okay. Like, they weren't bully, They weren't anything like that. Mm. But then, what, two, two nights later, the lockdown started. So then I'm basically forced to live in a six-by- with a toilet in with someone I don't know, and I literally, for the first like two weeks, we did, weren't allowed
1: to come out because so of you, lockdown restrictions. Oh my
2: god, yeah, yeah she got sent to prison a week before lockdown. Oh my god.
3: So, although the person I shared with at first was you know, she was okay, it, you can imagine. You're in this tiny box with someone, this tiny room with a toilet. It's yeah, it was not pleasant at yeah. all. Could what you have a like? oh,
0: well. What was your mindset like, considering you know, this was all kind of like a shock to you? Surely, how, how did you how were you processing it? What was going through your mind?
3: To be honest, I was it. I I had just had so much trauma. I was really suffering with PTSD. I was having night terrors. I was wet in the bed. I was just like in the in the bed, on the bottom bunk, looking up at the top bunk. I just wasn't really with it. I was constantly reliving this 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 trauma and this memory in my head, constantly, 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 constantly. Um, I really hit rock bottom. I mean, when I actually got processed um you go and see like a nurse to talk about what medication you're on. I was on like two different antidepressants and they took me off them. They said I'm not allowed to have them. So for the first three and a half months I didn't have any mental health, a like help in terms of medication or anyone to speak to because again, lockdown. So I just really hit rock bottom and I only actually got help when I think they got really, really worried because I lost a lot of weight because I'm actually gluten and lactose intolerant and they refused, the manager of the kitchen refused to give me gluten and lactose free food because he said, you're not a celiac, it's just an intolerance, get over it. I tried to get over it, my body couldn't get over it. So it was either sit on the toilet for hours on end next to someone sleeping that you don't really know or don't eat so i just wasn't eating and so i lost a lot of weight and then yeah i think that came when one officer she saw me one day she went on leave for like two weeks she came back and she literally opened the door to let me out to get um to get food or something and she was like oh my god you look horrendous and from then I suddenly got a bit of help with my mental health they actually put me on some medication um I got more food um so yeah I think it was just because they were worried something was gonna happen
0: did you have mental ill health before you went inside or was it as a result of that or the run-up to that where where did the mental uh health um aspect of this come in
3: To be honest through my teenage years because I got really badly bullied in school um I suffered with like anxiety and like just low mood I wouldn't call it such um but then after this the attack that's when my mental health just declined um and yeah I just I I went into I just went into autopilot because it's all I knew how to do so I literally was Making make After two weeks, I make, made myself go into work. I was barely sleeping, which is why I ended up being on one medication I take in the morning and the other one that would knock me out for the night. And I just kept going, kept going, kept going, kept going. And yeah, and then by the time I got to prison, then I was on the floor basically.
0: So if you could like look back on that period in terms of like what it was like being in, in prison, what was occupying your mind the most was it about trying to have some kind of justice after you came out trying to get justice whilst you were in there what 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 was the predominant thought whilst you were in inside
3: at first I was just trying to just make it through every day I was you know trying to be positive I thought you know Siander there's no way there's no way like you know, you're going to go to the appeal court because the appeal was lodged like a couple of days after the um the verdict. Um, I thought they're going to see you at the appeal court and they're going to be like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Like we have to throw it out. But I knew that I would have to be in prison for a bit. So I was just like, stay positive as possible. Always try to have it in the back of my mind. But obviously the realities of what was actually going on in my day-to-day sort of took over. But all I was just thinking about is my family because... My mum, my sister, Miles—like literally, everyone's life was like torn apart and tipped upside down. Miles doesn't have anything; doesn't have anything to do with his family now. My mum's having to cope with her firstborn child, and and everything that's happened from the attack leading up to going into prison. You know, I'm trying to be happy on the phone for them, but I'm literally dying inside. Um, yeah, sorry, I I forgotten what the
0: question was I've just yeah. Don't then, then apologize you know I am sat here like flabbergasted that you know this has happened because to me it just seems just so clear what has actually happened here and this is just underlining that the judicial system in this country is just so institutionally racist the police are so institutionally racist and corrupt. And it just keeps on happening. So again, just just for my own kind of like, in terms of like setting the scene and everything, you were sentenced to four years. How much did you actually do? And when, when did you actually come out?
3: So I was sentenced to four and a half years. So I did half of the sentence, so two years and three months. I was in prison from 13th of March 2020 until 13th of June 2022.
0: Okay, so in doing half of that sentence, do you have to sit before or stand before a parole board? How is it that you got released early?
3: So, everyone who goes into prison, they only do half the sentence in custody. Okay. And then the other half of your sentence you do out in the community under the supervision of probation. So you have to attend probation appointments, do any like um, courses or anything like that that they ask you to do um, and basically just show that you're an an upstanding member of society.
0: So again, excuse my ignorance, you're not out because things were overturned. You're not out because new evidence came to light, i.e. your boyfriend's testimony or your ex-boyfriend's testimony at the time. Um, you are out because you you spent your time and you're out on license basically.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. This was the bit that I was so shocked about because I heard about your campaign in like BLM 2020, I think I met your auntie in Stoke. And like we shared and it was massively shared through, you know, the BLM circles. And it was such like, like, it just was so like, well, clearly they're gonna realize they've made a mistake. And then when I saw you the last week, and, you, and I was like, oh, you're out, you know, did they let you out it was early because like, clearly it was a miscarriage of justice. And you were just like, no, I, I'm out because I finished my sentence. And I was just like, oh my God, literally they didn't overturn that. They didn't, you know, it didn't go through. I, I couldn't believe it. Like absolutely couldn't believe it. But you are campaigning, aren't you? You're campaigning now. It's called Sianda's Receipts. And that's all around holding the criminal justice system and the many failings to account. Can you
2: tell us a little bit about that? Um. Yes. Um. What I'm doing is is going through Siander's case file, and I'm showing it really bit by bit. I'm uh, showing all the failures that the police did. Um. I'm at the point where I'm showing um. You know what the, the conversations between myself and the police officer, Siander's injuries that they didn't send to the CPS you know, the proof of the injuries, I'll be, my next receipt um, of Siander's file is um, going to be statements of the police um, uh, and, and the medical um, uh, person that examined the complainant. I'm going to be pulling it all out there because at the appeal, the judges accepted that Sianda was actually beaten because don't forget the witnesses says, no one touched her. She just did what she did and ran, ran on a reconstructed leg. You know, that's what they say. That is, that is their story. That is their story. So we proved that and we proved that through, you know, Sianda uh, family, friends, painful forensic evidence to be looked at um, of the photographs. So and we proved that. So the judges accepted that. The judges even accepted which one of their men stamped on their face but it wasn't enough even for a retrial. So we've got to keep investigating, gathering more evidence behind the scenes. We are aiming for Supreme Court because it has to be overturned. In the meantime, I've been trying to speak to David Paris police. They're coming off with their crap, saying that they did everything they could to investigate Seander's allegations. So in the response to the letter that I've posted from the Police Crime Commissioner, I'm now proving with these receipts that they didn't. And they're going to keep on coming because even the complaint that we launched, that we, I've got all the paperwork and their replies, all of that is coming out.
0: Why are you doing all the heavy lifting?
2: Are, are you legally trained? Do you have a legal background? No. <laughs> no, I've just had to pick things off as I go along. I've learned from mistakes i've learned from turning to the wrong people that are not actually interested in plight. Wow. It was only interested for their own personal gain you know doing research um you know finally finally finding people you know that do have certain knowledge in how i go about things as well um so no there's no training it's a desire to free my daughter's name um, you know and, and 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 that's where it comes from and you know my attitude towards the police is you know I've got no tolerance for you anymore no
1: tolerance like absolutely understandable go on Michael I see you wanted to say something then
0: yeah this, this is just one platform that um, Chantelle and I share but for those listening how can they amplify your story how can they make sure that this doesn't go quietly how can they make sure that these receipts are heard seen and how can they make sure that they keep this in the public eye because I think that's what's needed here
2: I mean what what we've launched is the first stage sorry did you want to say something dear?
3: No, no. no. You're right,
2: sorry. Um, we've launched the first stage of the social media storm, which is on the uh for the 21st of February. Now that would be the is it third anniversary of the date that she was convicted of the crime. Um, we're asking to share it across all the receipts that I'm going to pull out because I'm doing them weekly. Um, so there'll be several more media storm dates. I'm asking them to share supporters or anyone that, you know, see Seander's story to share them across their media platforms. I'm also asking um, for people to actually start to sign the petition. We ended the petition on 571,000 signatures. I need to get it to a million. And that's what we would like to bring it to, you know, to the attention. Um, because the police are sitting silent. Um, and I believe it's because of their demographic where they are. No one would have probably heard of David Paris Police. But they're the second most, um, uh, I suppose, reported police uh, constabulary out there that has a high statistic of race hate crime just under Yorkshire Police.
0: I'm surprised so, they're not under special yeah. measures.
2: That's so, a horrific stat. Yeah, so you know, you know, I don't want them to be able to sit in silence. Um, I'm hoping those that listen to this story look at uh, the, the the social media platform and see the injustice that they're willing to share these receipts. Um, you know, I'm I'm willing to go down this road. To make sure that Siander's injustice is heard, and that people, hopefully, that you know, powers that be that may come across Siander's story can help hold Dovey Paris police to account as well, because per- we've proven perjury was committed at that trial. So yes, it's not identifying Siander's innocence, but we can- we've proved perjury at the appeal court. But the police don't want to do anything. Why? If, if the three judges at the High Court said that they believed that Sianda was beaten and five non-independent CPS witnesses said, said she wasn't. Yeah.
0: So just so that people can actually amplify um, all of the receipts, where can people amplify? What are the Instagrams? What are the Twitters? What are the Facebook accounts that they need to um, be hitting up?
2: That's FreeSeanda is the uh, Instagram handle. Uh, FreeSeanda is the um, Facebook handle. We don't really have a Twitter handle, but we do have a website, which is free Um So everything is is in the same name, so it's easy to find. Um, and on the website, we have all the links to the petition we have a link to the crowd justice because we are raising funds you know while we are you know investigating to get to to get to supreme court um you know legal fees still need to be (laughs) still need to be paid so we're asking support there um all the links to um our um what's it called youtube as well so i'll be loading the receipts on youtube so everything is is in one place there Okay, um, I just can't, I, it's just,
1: I, I've heard it what happened before, but hearing you tell your stories, it's just, it's heartbreaking and it's harrowing and it just speaks to the injustice of the criminal justice system. Like, I'm going to share this podcast with anyone and everyone that I think can help along with your contact details and the crowdfunder. And, you know, anyone who does listen to this, I sincerely hope that you use the expertise and the knowledge that you have to pick this up. I know that justice campaigns are notorious for showing solidarity, especially justice campaigns who've been through similar experiences with the police. And I just really encourage people to support this campaign and to, you know, share that knowledge and support Sianza and Camilla. Um I just wanted to ask a dead quick question, Michael, and I know we've gone over time, but I just like I think we both this <laughs> oh, just I'm needs
2: sorry about that. <laughs> no, well.
1: it's like it's this just needs as much time as it takes Definitely. because yeah, and you know, Sandra, I just think we need to acknowledge the trauma of reliving and retelling a story that I'm sure you've had to relive and retell many times. So we just want to say thank you so much for doing that and send you so much love and a, the biggest virtual hug ever. But I just want to ask, and it's it's making me think of this because, you know, I'm sure all of us are thinking of this. Last week, a video surfaced of a young black girl being attacked by, I think it was five white girls and encouraged by white adults who should have known better with very little, like, the just most blase attitude from a person who I believe is the head teacher in him. Ashford in London who just walked over as if he was about to order something from McDonald's and very casually asked the girls to stop beating this black child to a pulp. Now everyone's appalled about this and it's awful and you know we've seen the pictures of the braids pulled from the girls head, and we've seen the bruises and it, it, it immediately made me think of you but I, I did think what if that hadn't been filmed, what if they had put the complaint in, what, what 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 did you guys think when you when you heard about this child? i literally
3: my i was i was absolutely disgusted i was horrified it was very triggering to watch um but you know what to to this young girl and her family and friends you know people that rally around her it sounds so horrendous to actually say but you know what the fact that it circulated everywhere online the fact that it was video the fact that there's proof that it happened is the best thing that literally could have ever happened like it's absolutely disgusting and it's absolutely gut-wrenching to know that that a young girl in school has had to go through this and being jumped by absolutely disgusting people, dregs of society in my eyes. And I just pray for strength for her and healing. Um, But you know what? If only there was a camera on the 25th of May, 2019, that I filmed what happened to me because I wouldn't be in this situation. So as much as it's the most horrendous thing you can even think to happen, an, an actual nightmare that's something you never think will ever happen and it's recorded, just know that it's actually the best thing that could have happened in terms of having your back and making sure that you get as much justice as the justice system will allow you to have
2: because, unfortunately, we know it, it's not going to be what you deserve. It's a shame that we have to have that, though. Mm. Our word is not enough. Our word as black people is not enough. We have to, it has to be, our trauma has to be videoed for someone to jump to attention. And I know, you know, I, as Sianda said, you know, I think, yes, it was good that it, it was circulated. But that's the only reason, no shadow of a doubt, the police have done something no other reason because we know if it wasn't that's that, that that poor family would still be arguing with the school to this day to get something done and the police no doubt about that yeah our trauma has to be live streams or it didn't
1: happen basically but i'm sure i think reports saying that she's you know obviously really distressed that the video is out there and you know hopefully in some way that word will get to her like like no one wants a video like that to be out there of themselves but it will hopefully bring swift justice for her um, and the justice that she deserves and the support that she's probably going to need for years from now. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, no, exactly. exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, no one needs to share it now. We all know, we've all seen it. We know we know what's happened. The police have started with their case. So I'd hope that people don't continue to share mm-hmm. it um, because, no, it's, it's not something you want to see. Um, you, you don't want to see yourself at your lowest point online um it's something that I also had to come to terms with when I actually came out and saw everything that was online um but it's how it's how we have to get justice unfortunately
0: I think that kind of like draws it to its natural conclusion our conversation and I'm so pleased that you had you know the, the bravery to come on and tell your story and to tell it with such detail because it's that detail which i hope will spurn people on to share to amplify to make sure that this does not actually go quietly into the night we do need this to be an ongoing narrative that people are listening to so thank you both i just want to echo what Chantel said you know it's taken obviously a, a lot of um uh, bravery to get to this point and I, I'm pleased you've shared your story with us and I hope that we can do it justice by amplifying it and getting it out to you know as many people as we can so thank you both and thank you Chantel for um, letting me lease on this one because <clears throat> I just realized that the hour went up so quickly but I just could not believe what I was hearing and the more that I listened the more questions that I had and thank you again for being so candid and for sharing it with us thank no, you
2: so much, much guys and thank you chantelle thank you both we really appreciate yeah. what this evening. Thank we really you really so appreciate much. it thank you. thank you thank
1: you sending you off to look guys yeah.